From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on December 8th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. And a holiday programming note. Right off the top here, folks. Holiday programming alerts, 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 holiday programming alerts, alert. Attention lead shoppers, we have new holiday hours for this December to remember. That's right, we will bring you two new episodes on December 11th, which will be a 2024 episode, and then an episode on December 16th. But there will only be one pod the week of December 19th and one the week of Christmas. And we'll tape our January 2nd pod, which will drop later that day. So little programming notes for you guys during this December to remember. Anyway, this episode is extensive. As you can tell by the total time on the pod, we're sorry, but you know, it's weekend pod. It's a little bit deeper dive. Everyone else does these podcasts about the debate. Here's a recap. Well, here are all the clips too, folks, of the fourth Republican presidential primary debate that took place on December 6th in Tuscaloosa. Only four candidates were on the debate stage this week, and the knives are out for former Governor Nikki Haley, who is gaining momentum in the polls and support. We also have analysis of the debate. I spoke with former Haley Communications Chief of Staff Rob Godfrey. So it's not just me. There's a lot in this. There's a lot in this pod, guys. And we love hearing from you guys. Like we said, it's Happy Honda Days, Sign and Drive event, all these great things going on this month. We want to know what you're doing, how you're celebrating this month of December with all these holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Toyotathon's also going on. Let us know. 803-563-7169. We'd love hearing from you guys. It's uh, winding down from the year. Share us your thoughts on what you thought maybe the biggest story was this year. Um, things that stood out to you from the debate if you watched it. What you're looking forward to in the new year. What's in and what's out for 2024. we got to know this stuff. 803-563-7169. Okay, so this is a full debate recap episode. Like I said, you probably heard some snippets from the four candidates who are on stage at the fourth Republican presidential debate this week, but we watched the whole thing so you didn't have to. We have highlights, we have lowlights, and analysis from the debate that features a shrinking Republican field. Former Governor Nikki Haley got the frontrunner or uh, distant second place runner treatment Wednesday night from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and, to an extent, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie in Tuscaloosa. It's game day in Alabama. And who knows what the tide will roll in. Yes, very, very intense buildup there for this debate, which, again, frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, skipped. But he was still very present in the questioning from the moderators. Let's start off with some of the attacks, because that's how this debate started. Take this brutal leadoff question from podcaster Megyn Kelly for DeSantis, which quickly turned against Haley. You were seen by many as the candidate most likely to consolidate the non-Trump field. But here we are, a month out from the first real votes, and you haven't managed to do it. In fact, Nikki Haley is beating you in New Hampshire and South Carolina now and closing in on you in Iowa, not to mention Trump, who is not only dominating in the early states but is beating you in Florida by over 30 points. Is it fair to say, as Senator Tim Scott did when he dropped out, that voters are telling you not 
No, but not now. So we have a great uh, idea in America that the voters actually make these decisions, not pundits or pollsters. Uh, I'm sick of hearing about these polls because I remember those polls in November of 2022. They said there was going to be a big red wave. It was going to be monumental. And that crashed and burned. The one place it didn't crash and burn was in the state of Florida. They weren't predicting the, uh, that I would win the way I did. And I won the greatest Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. I'm looking forward to, to Iowa and New Hampshire. The voters are going to be able to speak. And we're going to earn this nomination. And here's what we need. Uh, I am sick of Republicans who are not willing to stand up and fight back against what the left is doing to this country. You've got to be willing to stand strong and you've got to be willing to beat these people. I'm the only one running for president that has beaten these people on issue after issue. Uh, we beat the teachers unions when we did school choice. We beat Fauci on COVID. We beat George Soros when we removed two of his radical district attorneys. We beat the Democrats on election integrity. I have delivered results. That's what we need for this country. And you have other candidates up here like Nikki Haley. She caves anytime the left comes after her, anytime the media comes after her. I did a bill in Florida to stop the gender mutilation of minors. It's child abuse and it's wrong. She opposes that bill. She thinks it's fine and the law shouldn't get involved with it. If you're not willing to stand up for the kids, if you're not willing to stand up and say that it is wrong to mutilate these kids, uh, then you're not going to fight for the people back home. I will fight for you and I will win for you. You heard DeSantis already digging in on transgender issues, a major piece of his campaign, and saying Haley isn't tough enough on the issue. Megyn Kelly asks Haley this question about fundraising. Aren't you too tight with the banks and the billionaires to win over the GOP's working class base, which mostly wants to break the system, not elect someone beholden to it? Well, thank you. It's great to be here. You know, first I'll tell you, um, just to respond to Ron, I, he continues to lie about my record. I actually said his don't say gay bill didn't go far enough because it only talked about gender until the third grade. And I said it shouldn't be done at all, that that's for parents to talk about. It shouldn't be talked about with schools. In reference to donors coming on board, look, we will take support from anybody we can take support from. But I have been a conservative fighter all my life. I was a Tea Party candidate when I became governor. We opposed every single corporate bailout we possibly could. We passed tort reform. We passed one of the toughest illegal immigration laws in the country. We passed pro-life bills. We moved an unemployment from 11% to 3%. We took on the unions and we took on Obama when it came to the unions, the Syrian refugees and everything in between. And so I've had a fight. And so as much as Ron says that, that's not true. But when it comes to these corporate people that want to suddenly support us, We'll take it, but you can, they don't, I don't ask them what their policies are. They ask me what my policies are and I tell them what it is. Sometimes they agree with me, sometimes they don't. Some don't like how tough I am on China. Some don't like the fact that I've signed pro-life bills. Some don't like the fact that I may oppose corporate bailouts. That doesn't matter, that's who I am. And that's why the most conservative grassroots group in the country, Americans for Prosperity, endorsed me last week. Following additional attacks from Ramaswamy, which you'll hear later in the lowlights section, Haley said this about 19 minutes into the two-hour-long debate in response to DeSantis and Ramaswamy's hits. We're marching towards fascism under Biden. Jack Smith has subpoenaed every last retweet that someone has issued from Donald Trump in the year 2020. 
The only person more fascist than the Biden regime now is Nikki Haley, who thinks the government should identify every one of those individuals with an ID. That is not freedom. That is fascism. And she should come nowhere near the levers of power, let alone the White House. I've got to get to Governor Christie. I haven't forgotten no, about but you, can sir. I just say these can, you, guys, can, can you speak? To, can I you, really appreciate How are you doing, sir? Good, good to see you. Can you please speak to the, the requirement that you said that every anonymous internet user needs to out themselves. They're both hitting you on it. I would be happy to, and I love all the attention, fellas. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, you know, I will, I'll say this. What I said was that social media companies need to show us their algorithms. I also said there are millions of bots on social media right now. They're foreign, they're Chinese, they're Iranian. I will always fight for freedom of speech for Americans. We do not need freedom of speech for Russians and Iranians and Hamas. We That's need social media exactly. companies to go That's and fight back on all of these bots that are happening. That's what I said. As a mom, as a mom, do I think that social media would be more civil if we went and had people's names next to that? Yes, I do think that because I think we've got too much cyberbullying. I think we've got child pornography and all of those things. But having said that, I never said government should go and require anyone's name. That's names. false. She said, I, said, I want your name. She As absolutely president of the United said States, her first day in office, she said, one of the first things I'm going to do I said we were going to get the millions I want of your bots. Name. She wants That's government she ID to dox every American. That's what she said. You can roll the tape. She fought back most of the attacks, but then wouldn't respond to some of the outrageous ones. In some cases... Chris Christie did the yelling for her. How you doing? Well, Christie is only getting attention and focusing on New Hampshire and called Haley inconsistent on some things, he did press DeSantis multiple times for his vague responses. Listen to this interaction. We also need to look at what's the underlying problem here. Iran. Biden is doing nothing to bring Iran to account. You got to turn the screws on them. Don't let them have any oil revenue. The money they get they send to Hamas, they send to Hezbollah, and they foment jihad throughout the Middle East. So Biden has empowered Iran, just like he's empowered other adversaries. We stand with Israel. They're our best ally in the Middle East. We have a unique relationship with them, uh, and you will see a strong relationship when I'm the president of the United States. But Elizabeth, would you send Elizabeth, Elizabeth, look, this is the problem with the first three debates. Ron gets asked a question, and he doesn't answer it. Your question was very specific. You said, would you send American troops as commander-in-chief? And he went on to this minute and 30-second Hosanna about his knowledge of the military and what we need to do, and didn't answer your question. Look, when you're president of the United States, you're not going to have a choice whether to answer that question or not. Your generals, your secretary of defense, your secretary of state, your national security advisor are going to present plans to you. They're going to look at you and say, do we go or don't we, Mr. President? And you can't give a 90-second speech about your military services. So would you, as would you send American troops in to rescue I those hostages? I would absolutely, absolutely. This happened again when Christie tried to rile DeSantis up over another vague response. This time to a question on Trump's mental fitness. Ron, why doesn't he just answer the question? The question was very direct. Is he fit to be president or isn't he? The rest of the speech is interesting, but completely non-responsive. And if we were in a courtroom, they'd strike the answer and say, 
Governor DeSantis. No, they you're wouldn't. A smart, they would say that you're a they, smart they would man. argue that the, No, they would. No, they wouldn't. They would Chris. strike the answer no, they because you're not answering you it. Just is he don't fit? Like, you is have he fit? your you have no. your thing. Is he fit or isn't he? No, I don't have my thing. We don't, He's the thing. Is we he do fit not or isn't he? Do you're talking about him being 80, 80 years old. It doesn't mean Ron, that somebody is he couldn't fit? get elected. That's Ron, the people that Yes. We don't have to no worry about all I'm this stuff with Ron. confidence. Stop. We Sanders. can get it done. Stop. We'll do it. I'm going to come to you. Finish. Look, Father Time is undefeated. I don't know how he would score on a, on a test, but I know this. We have an opportunity to nominate someone and elect someone for two terms who's going to be spitting nails on day one and for eight years so deliver you, you big fit. result. You we should think. not nominate somebody he won't who's, answer. Who's, who's, who's almost 80 years old. But going back to the threat of Iran and the ongoing Middle East conflict, Haley had this to say about the encroaching threat. No, I was not saying it's time to bomb Iran, but I will tell you, I dealt with Iran every day when I was at the United Nations, and they only respond to strength. What they don't respond to is when you weaken the sanctions like they did on Iran that allowed China to send them billions to fill their proxies. What they don't respond to is when you give $6 billion for five hostages. That only makes them want more hostages. What they don't respond to is when they do 140 strikes on our men and women in Syria and Iraq, and we do nothing but just some small shots back. You've got to punch them, you've got to punch them hard, and let them know that. That's the only way they're going to respond. So the way you do that is you go after their infrastructure in Syria and Iraq where they're hitting our soldiers. That's what you do. And then that's when they'll back off. The problem is you have to see that all of these are related. If you look at the fact Russia was losing that war with Ukraine, Putin had hit rock bottom. They had raised the draft age to 65. He was getting drones and missiles, drones from Iran, missiles from North Korea. And so what happened when he hit rock bottom? All of a sudden, his other friend, Iran, Hamas goes and invades Israel and butchers those people on Putin's birthday. There is no one happier right now than Putin because all of the attention America had on Ukraine suddenly went to Israel. And that's what they were hoping is going to happen. We need to make sure that we have full clarity that there is a reason, again, that Taiwanese want to help Ukrainians because they know if Ukraine wins, China won't invade Taiwan. There's a reason the Ukrainians want to help Israelis, because they know that if Iran wins, Russia wins. These are all connected. But what wins all of that is a strong America, not a weak America. And that's what Joe Biden's given us. But digs from DeSantis at Haley also focused on her recent haul from Wall Street fundraisers, something DeSantis has enjoyed throughout his campaign, raising tens of millions of dollars from similar folks. Her donors, these Wall Street liberal donors, they make money in China. They are not going to let her be tough on China, and she will cave to the donors. She will not stand up for you. 15 seconds, Ambassador. First of all, he's mad because those Wall Street donors used to support him, and now they support me. The second thing is he has a company, a Chinese company, UGAS, that he just did a rally there last year. They have given you 340000 in campaign it's donations an American company. between them and their employees. They are tied to an the American Communist company. Chinese Thank Party. You. Forbes notes that billionaires who previously expressed support for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign are now considering backing Haley. This includes Citadel Hedge Fund founder Ken Griffin and Home Depot co-founder Ken Langone who recently described Haley to CNBC as the only GOP candidate who has a chance at beating Trump. 
adding that he soured on DeSantis when he signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. Other than Christie, Haley was the only other candidate who really attacked Trump. She mentioned him adding to the national debt and his soft approach on China. Our kids are not going to forgive us for all the spending that happened. And as much as everybody wants to talk about how Donald Trump had a good economy, $9 trillion in debt he did just in four years. And we're all paying the price of that, including those mortgage prices. But this is where Trump went wrong. Trump was good on trade, but that's all he was with China. Because here he allowed fentanyl to continue to come over. He continued to allow them to take, he would give them technology that would build up their military and hurt us. He allowed the Chinese infiltration for them to buy up farmland, to put money in our universities, and to continue to do things that were harmful for America. We now have a spy base Thank in you. Cuba and police stations, and Trump didn't do anything about it. Okay, so if you want to call those the highlights, that's what they were. Now to move on to the lowlights. A lot of these moments feature biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, who in the last debate promised to be unhinged. Well, you could say that approach carried over to this one, spewing conspiracy theories and attack lines, including going in on Haley, citing she's corrupt because she cashed in on giving big speeches, joined corporate boards like Boeing, and did other things to improve her family's circumstances after leaving the United Nations. Haley also wrote two books that Ramaswamy didn't mention, but take a listen. I want to go back, though, to Nikki Haley's comment from earlier that she is somehow not responding to the will of these donors. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N. After you left the U.N., you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. First of all, we weren't bankrupt when I left the UN. We're people of service. My husband is in the military and I served our country as UN ambassador and governor. It may be bankrupt to him, but it certainly wasn't bankrupt to us. Secondly, I did serve on the board of Boeing. I did a lot of work with Boeing when I was governor. They were a great partner to me. I served for 10 months. And then when they decided after COVID that they wanted to go for a corporate bailout, I've never supported corporate bailout. So I respectfully stepped back and got off the board. I love Boeing. They build good commercial airplanes. They build airplanes for our Air Force. I am proud of them. They employ a lot of people in South Carolina. But that's why I left the Boeing board. There's nothing to what he's saying. And in terms of these donors that are supporting me, they're just jealous. They wish that they were supporting them. But I'm not going to sit there and do He again went in on Haley at one point, holding up his notebook in which he scribbled, Nikki equals corrupt. Following his screed, Haley was given the opportunity to respond. Take a listen to this interaction. But I question her authenticity. And I think that's deeper here. We were just talking about the trans issue. This is a symptom of a deeper cancer in American life, identity politics. This new religion that says your race, your gender, and your sexuality are your identity. It is anti-American. It is meritocratic. It's anti-meritocratic. And it is dividing this country to a breaking point. And I've spoken about this to the left. My books are all about this. I've preached this to the left. But it's even worse when Republicans try to play the same game. We're talking about that trans issue. And Nikki Haley's campaign launch video sounded like a woke Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light ad talking about how she would kick in heels. At the first debate, she said that only a woman can get this job done. That's what she said. After the third debate, when I criticized Ronna McDaniel after five failed years of leadership of this party and criticized Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor, she said that I have a woman problem. 
Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet masters wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. You. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? No. It's not worth my time to respond to him. You, you have been using identity politics at every step. Christie doing his part to run some interference and add another victim to his list of people on blast went in on Ramaswamy. That's that's deal, yes, Chris. it's exactly what I'll, you I'll said. You do this at every debate. I'll just, I'll you exactly say, no, no, don't interrupt me. I didn't interrupt you. Okay? You say this. You do this. You do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say exactly what, no, what I said, Chris. I'm not Definitely. done yet. Well, this now is now look. This is on. and this man is spewing. This man is spewing nonsense. Let me tell you something. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. I'm gonna respond to that. I want to say something else. We're now 25 minutes into this debate, and he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions, her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three-year-old could find. Look, if you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. <laughs> and while we disagree about some issues and we disagree about who should be president of the United States, what we don't disagree on is this is a smart, accomplished woman and you should stop insulting so her. So I'm going to take this. Then there were the conspiracy theories such as January 6th being an inside job, something I routinely hear from Trump supporters when I ask them. Also, a litany of other conspiracy theories. Take a listen. Here's my issue with all three of my other colleagues on this debate stage, is all three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements. Ron DeSantis, you've been a great governor, but you would have never been one without actually begging Donald Trump for that endorsement. And you attacked him in your Nikki book Haley. a year ago. Same thing with Chris Christie as a lobbyist, begging them for COVID money for his special interests in New Jersey, prepping him for the debates last time around. These people are now Monday morning quarterbacking some decision he made. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory? but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform, that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, 
that the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment okay. that actually Thank put you. up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person That'll on the it, stage sir. who can Thank say you. these things. As to some of those claims, ABC News notes that more than 700 people have admitted, admitted to a variety of charges in connection with January 6. 210 of those people have pled to felonies, according to the Department of Justice and more than 130 people have been convicted at trial. So, not a really good inside job if it was an inside job. Ramaswamy also touted the Great Replacement Theory, which is the white nationalist belief that immigration policies are designed specifically to dilute the political power of white Americans by making them a smaller share of the population. If this sounds familiar to you, it's because it's regularly a central part of mass shooters' manifestos, such as the Buffalo supermarket shooter who killed 10 people. That shooter referenced the white supremacist Mother Emanuel Amy Church shooter and the one in New Zealand who killed 51 Muslims as inspiration. So let's move from one extreme use of rhetoric to another. Like we said, Republican frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, again skipped the debate, but he still made headlines earlier in the week by saying he would be a dictator if re-elected president. The man who issued some 30,570 misstatements during his time in office, according to the Washington Post, said, I'll be dictator just for one day. Here's the full quote and what he told Fox News' Sean Hannity when asked about his authoritarian rhetoric. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm it. gonna be I'm gonna be, you know, he keeps <laughs> we love this guy. He says, You're not gonna be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay. That, that sounds- okay, that was a lot. Big recap there with a little Trump on top. So with that all being said, let's get some analysis on what this all means. I spoke with Rob Godfrey on This Week in South Carolina about the debate and the current campaign. Rob served with Haley since the 2010 campaign days and rose to the title of her deputy chief of staff for communications. He's currently a strategist and neutral in the primary. I started our conversation by asking him for his takeaways. Um, Some of the big moments were, um, you know, first of all, discussions about some of the big issues facing uh, the world right now, whether it's policy surrounding the ongoing crisis in the Middle East that was um, ignited when Hamas attacked Israel, or it was the crosstalk between Vivek Ramaswamy and any of the other candidates, because he seems to be the one who is on stage Um, acting as though he has nothing to lose, a real kamikaze candidate, if there ever were one on stage. And at this point, if we're talking about candidates who just don't bring anything to the table at these debates, I think Vivek has, um, you know, proven himself to be someone who's better outfitted for talk radio or something Mm. like that than he is to be debating on the debate stage. It's always a 
launching pad for future careers in a variety of different sure. areas. So, you know, you're talking about Haley being the focus of a lot of those attacks from Vivek Ramaswamy. She's rising in polls. She's getting these big donations, really hitting her stride, it seems like now, uh, some six weeks, less than six weeks away from Iowa. Right. Uh, and that's no, uh, thanks to no small part, to her three previous debate performances. What did you think of Haley's debate performance in Alabama? Um, so, you know, it's a totally different dynamic when every candidate is coming after you. You have to be a little bit more deliberate. You have to um, you know, pick and choose the times in which you're going to engage because responding to every personal attack, one, doesn't benefit anybody. Mm. It doesn't benefit voters. It doesn't benefit viewers. But two, also she's an extraordinarily disciplined candidate and came in there with objectives that she wanted to meet and issues that she wanted to talk about. And in that context, it didn't do her any good or, or allow or, you know, or move her towards the objectives that she had set out just to respond to every personal attack that, you know, that might have been uh, wedged or leveled against her mm-hmm. by a candidate that was... Um, Rile them up yeah, pretty much, yeah. Especially when you get those... Rile her up or, or, you know, try to be relevant himself. Get those side-by-side shots and it's, you know, the comments and trying to see any reaction there. And especially, you know, you heard DeSantis say uh, that Haley caves anytime the left comes after her. Ramaswamy said she's a fascist and corrupt. Uh, you've known her, you've worked for her, you've done her communications. What do you make of these comments? How do you think that she responded to them? Governor DeSantis, who has done well as the as the Florida uh, governor, uh, knows well the job that Governor Haley did here and the number of arrows that you take as a sitting governor. None of that's easy, whether you're the governor of Florida or you're the governor of South Carolina, but I think anyone who has ever followed the career of Governor Haley knows that she's never been one to cave to anybody over the course of a fight, whether it's a fight with the federal government over jobs for Boeing, whether it's a fight with the federal government over South Carolina solutions for uh, South Carolina health matters, or whether it's attacks in political campaigns. She's never shirked away from fights with anybody uh, when she thinks that she's right on the policy or right on the principle, and she certainly hasn't shirked away from anyone who disagrees with her ideologically with regard to the, to the you know, kind of inflammatory language that um, Vivek Ramaswamy used. I don't think she responded to it, um, and I don't think that it you know, dignifies a response mm-hmm. um, in this context. Uh, DeSantis, it seemed like he had one of his strongest debate performances, too, uh, because he did really have a target. He's been in jeopardy with losing his uh, second front-runner status, obviously, to former President Donald Trump. Uh, maybe something had ignited in that California debate with Governor Newsom. Um, but it makes you wonder if he would have brought this kind of energy to the previous three debates where he would be, and maybe he'd still be in second place in a lot of these early voting states. Sure. I mean, you can look back and and, and the political pundits and the, uh, and the political class can look back and ask those questions. But, you know, for the last few weeks or even really the last couple months, you know, my observation of Governor DeSantis is that he has really steadied the ship when it comes to his campaign. Mm-hmm. He has looked and felt more comfortable on the debate stage even if that's not as comfortable as some of the other candidates have looked. He has gotten more camera time. He has made more cogent arguments, and that, o- that only benefits him. Um, you know, whether the timing of, of this steadying of his ship makes a difference, you know, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. But by all accounts, he is doing well in Iowa, um, as is Governor Haley. Both of them face uh, the tall order of trying to defeat President Trump there Mm -hmm. and in New Hampshire. (coughs) 
and in South Carolina, where he continues to maintain significant leads. Really quick, Rob, 20 seconds. What are you watching out of Iowa and New Hampshire? Who's going to be standing after those races? So I think that two to three tickets, well, excuse me, let's say uh, three to four tickets will get punched out of Iowa and probably two to three out of New Hampshire. So I'm looking to see um, who ends up in those two and three slots in Iowa and how close they are to Donald Trump and then how closely those, uh, those second and third place finishers are and of course who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, to Donald Trump in New Hampshire and what that momentum looks like coming into South Carolina because that month in between New Hampshire and South Carolina is going to be an important month and we'll have to see what kind of, uh, <coughs> not just campaign chaos it rocks on <laughs> South Carolina, but what kind of impact it has on the race. That again was Rob Godfrey, former Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications in the Haley administration during the gubernatorial days. And he's currently a strategist in Columbia. Now on the way out, let's look ahead. There will be two debates in January, with one in Des Moines on January 10th and the other in Manchester, New Hampshire, January 21st. I'll be there. <laughs> Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. And folks, I promise this is going to be a little one. Right, A.T. Shire, producer of the podcast. It's going to be very short. That was so long, Gavin. It was Gavin a long piece. I'm sorry. Gave me 30 minutes of just audio, not including <laughs> his voice. So this is going to be quick. We're, we're, uh, we're not doing voicemails no, here. No, sorry, not today. But, Gavin, okay. Gavin. In this section, Gavin. we have chronicled that mm. you would like to be struck by lightning and survive. Mm -hmm. You would like to be bit. By a shark, correct, and survive, correct. And if you got shot and survived, you would enjoy that. Okay, in <laughs> I love that you have all of my favorite, not my favorite thing, all the Gavin's hits. If, yes, it, yes, it, to all the above. In Check that, tape. in that vein, <laughs> Gavin, there's something Gavin. in the news, Gavin, that uh, <laughs> you are now desirous of trying. Get and the that, scroll. Of course, of course, I'm speaking of. The turbocharged Panera lemonade, yes? Yes. So you very much are interested in trying. 60 milligrams of straight caffeine yes. into my body. I have, I gotta say, every time I walk into Gavin's <laughs> office, he's doing mathematical calculations <laughs> about how much caffeine a human body can take. Yes. I've never seen you do so much math, honestly. It's it's bringing out the stem it's, in you. <laughs> steam, steam. Steam. Uh, steam, I steam this. Uh, you know, so you see me, I'm, I'm on the Celsius train now. He's big Celsius guy. They, you know, I, I, I don't think it like jazzes me up per se. I think it just gets me back to my baseline. Your baseline. <laughs> Because in the morning, so I'm like, probably, I probably have at least 400 milligrams of caffeine before I even listen get to this to the math. Everyone, listen to this math, okay? I, I, I pop, I pop one little pill. One Celsius. <laughs> Celsius. You know, to go to the gym in the morning, you know, everyone takes like their pre workout. I got to go jazzed up. I don't mm -hmm. do that because that stuff's like whatever it is. That's crazy. You just this lemonade, it. though. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just pop a caffeine pill. I'm like, okay, I'm awake now. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I have, you know, might do a Celsius or I do an espresso in the office because I have an espresso machine. Brag. Yep. Okay, it's, brag. It's a small, it's an OG one. Brag. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly pumping caffeine into my veins. Yes. You, you, you guys probably remember the Diet Coke stories. The, the Diet days. Coke faces. We've moved yes. past that now. I think truly no. Diet <laughs> so Coke is like, just Coke filtered through cigarettes. Yeah. But anyway, Gavin, keep going. So they're like, you know, it says on the back of Celsius, only have two a day. Mm-hmm. Then we even hear this unfortunate news of people who have some sort of conditions getting this Panera lemonade that is chock full of caffeine and people not really knowing it. Yeah. And it's it having just horrible looks reactions like normal to it. lemonade. You know, and we talked, uh, one of my coworkers, Renee, who's our director for the show, she, she had like a Diet Coke and then she had another something with caffeine in it. And she, like, she, she was wired first for two Off days. Off the walls. Yeah. So I'm like, Renee, do not go to Panera. Do not get this lemonade. You might die. But you. I can handle it. You want it. it. You, I can handle it. I, I, I'm scared. I too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> if, I'm, if I have nothing in my body, I could probably do two. I'm shocked that it's like. You can you can still buy it at the, yeah. you can still buy it there. They really need to put a big warning label on it. But you know, people are saying less regulation here. <laughs> they want to inadvertently of, kill themselves. A lot of chatter it. around Gavin's we, office about deregulating the lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I care about regulations, right? Yes. Uh, but you don't do caffeine much because we, I wake we up. are scared. We are scared what would happen if we put caffeine. In your yeah, body. Uh, I've 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 noticed a lot of. Uh, CIA agents, FBI agents around my home, making sure there is no caffeine that I can access because it would probably be a national emergency. If I drank one of these, I don't know, I'd probably be awake for six, seven days. Really? I don't know. We have to try this now. I I really don't want to try it. Please. For my Christmas present. For my Christmas. I've already bought you your Christmas present. Yeah, but present. I haven't bought you one, so this could be me giving you one. I don't you need a present from you. I'm much more of a present giver. I know. I you have know? nothing to get you. I'm going to get you a Christmas candle. I don't care. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, this one is uh, the the gift I've gotten you for this Christmas. It's not hype. It's not terrible, but it is steeped in lead lore. <laughs> i got to say that. And maybe Is it going to live in the studio? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is going to live at your house, and it's going to create content over the years, hopefully. <laughs> Yes, this is, I, I'm investing in future wind downs. Anyway, with that said, oh, people, if you've like, tried the lemonade, if you've tried the lemonade and lived to tell, please call in. Let us know. Wow, we want to know. For the gift. Okay. Three five six three seven six nine. Thanks for We are sponsored by Panera. Found out we just got a sponsorship deal with Panera. We can't say anything bad about the lemonade. <laughs> we love the lemonade here. <laughs> Do the outro, please. Oh, thanks for listening, folks. You can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. We promise we are going to change the greetings soon, maybe in the new year. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers for the South Carolina lead. I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. You said you were going to be here 15 minutes ago. Why are you here 15 minutes ago? I like that you think it was 15. (laughs) I have seen it's now 30.